What's good, people? This is episode 101. This man. 101. That's Tony Potts. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the episode starts right now. Dude, so good to have you on the show. Love man. that little animated opening there. That's awesome. Someone does it for you. you know? Someone who believes in you. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? I got a present for you. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's it's uh, uh it's nice though. It's like it's 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 you. It's got the Yankee hat. It's got the headphones on. It's yep. it's all good. So yeah. It's hey, certain... it's great to be here though. By the way, Yo, love thank, it. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Before we got in the podcast, we were talking about um, um, of course the Olympics, right? The, yeah. Uh, um, which kind of like saves all in this world of covid and this world of you know cnn and fox's low ratings because trump's not in office everyone's just taking a nice big breather and and sports saves all always yeah something i brought up to you though like i noticed there wasn't because volleyball's my wheelhouse yeah. i'm a coach i'm a commentator yep. but something that i noticed was that um there were no there's for the indoor men's team for the olympics right. there hasn't been one single african-american player I know, you know uh, for for the national team, Pan Am Games, this and that. But for some reason, when the Olympics around the corner, the one or two black guys, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, so what, what? That's your wheelhouse. Why do you think that? Is it socioeconomic? Is it the the, the reach out, the funnel? The, is it on the level of like when you're eight, nine, and ten years old? There's no, there aren't any of those those programs available at the Y's or you know boys and girls clubs me, or schools or what is that well you know what the thing is I always look at it from the opposite end of the spectrum because where I grew up in Brooklyn right you know Brooklyn Queens uh, I'm a Flatbush kid but you look at like Rucker Park you look at um like eight of the top 10 high schools in New York State or Christ the King is two private schools Lincoln High School whatever yep the, the whole team is black right so it's they're not exactly going to Upper West Side, right, or Park True. Avenue, yeah. to appealing to into white kids, so, right? So maybe I don't know. You tell me. Yeah, I don't know either. I, it's just you know we talked earlier, and like I don't have a problem. Sometimes there there are these issues where it's like, well, look, you know, certain certain population is twenty two percent of the population, like a certain aspect. Then that should be twenty two percent of that population should be you know in volleyball or represented in in whatever. And I think in sports, it kind of say, solves all in a certain aspect where it doesn't really stick with the norm of what society represents in a sense of, you know, 22% are African-American or 48% are Hispanic, whatever it happens to be. Because, like, I have no problem that probably 94% of all the roster is filled by African-Americans for the most part in yeah. the NBA. I don't, NBA, I, don't yeah. I don't be like, yo, white people are 50% of the white, white, half of them should be white. I don't, that's not, that doesn't make any sense to me. Now, in my world of entertainment, directors, producers, writers, what have you, that's a different story. That that really and and that can be changed because, um, and I think it's it's more of a short term change that you can really find if you look and get past the systemic studio system and, and ways things have been done. That there are a, a boatload of incredibly talented people out there, you know, female directors, African American directors, actors, producers, writers, and what have you. And I've seen that firsthand coming up because I never gave two crap. I've come from the sports world back in the day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not as talented as you, didn't go as far as you, but played, you know, three sports and blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't give a crap what you are. If you're good and you're dedicated and you bring a good attitude, mm -hmm. you're, I'm, I'm with you 100%, yeah. right? But I understand the challenge of, well, 
if they're not if 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 that particular person, wherever they happen to be, whatever you know um, ethnicity they happen to be, can't get to that point for you to be able to recognize them and say, "Yo, come on my team," then I get that. There, yeah. there, then there's some systemic thing that we need to get people to that place. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting that you know, you, yeah, Rucker Park. I mean, there may be the occasional you know Pete Maravich from way back in the day, a couple of white dudes. I mean, oh, it was Chris, funny. Chris Mullen when I came up, he was Chris a, Mullen, he, yes, because he was St. John's, say, a badass white boy. Um, grew up in the Bronx, St. Yep. John's. Yeah, went yep. to St. John's, all that mm-hmm. stuff. No, and it's funny, you know, when when I was growing up in Seattle, <clears throat> nowhere near the the, uh, the Bronx or Brooklyn, but you know, I would go downtown and play in in like late high school or late junior high and high school. I was luckily I grew about four or five inches in the summer and I had good ball skills. So I'd go play, but I was the only white dude. They yeah. used to, and they used to call me Pistol after Pistol P. Maravich. No, I was nowhere near him, but that's, nah. and I didn't take offense. But that was, no, but that was the association. Yeah, that's, and yeah. I, I didn't take offense. It's uh-huh. like, yeah, I'm white and I, so I can handle the ball and shoot a little bit. So I, I understand the association. So I took no offense to that. No. Nah. And, 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 and look, and, and the NBA, where the cream rises to the top because it affects people, how people make their money, right? Like the last MVP was Luka Doncic, right? Right. Uh, um, yeah, Luka Doncic. And the previous two MVPs were Greek freak, right? But, Giannis. And ni- neither one of them were African-American or white. You know, I mean, Giannis, yeah, yeah I mean, look. He's got a little something here and there. Amer- he's an African that came to America. Yeah, but, so but, I guess we could call but, him an African-American. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's interesting. Uh, let's talk about skill sets. If you look at the players who are coming from Europe, uh-huh. they're not really raised on ESPN dunk highlights, right? Or the or the the, the three pointer, and I think that that's somewhat of the erosion of the skill set of some of the players coming out of college. And this is your your wheelhouse too in, in the volleyball side of things, but on the basketball side of things, I see that you know they're one and done. And a lot of these European players have been playing pro or semi-pro since they're 16, 17. Uh-huh. And they're all skill set based. Right. Like if you, if you look, they can all pass. They've, they've got a complete game. You have some of these guys who come up and they've been extraordinarily talented uh, physically. But, and they get to, you know, and so from junior high on, they really haven't been pressured to do all the skill sets because they can dunk and they can do all kinds of great things. So then they go to college for a year. That's not really... Giving, serving them, so then they come to the to, to the NBA at twenty, and they don't start right away. And look at Luca came in and just bam, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, bam, right? Because he already had four years of pro, basically European pro under him. So well, it's interesting. I, I think you stumbled onto something that that applies to both sports. You're talking about basketball right now, yep. and I and I, I I kick I punt back to um uh, my uh, my wheelhouse, which is volleyball and beach volleyball. I think we as a country started enlisting, like you said, the best athletes because we thought we could just coach them up and make them world-class players. So with volleyball, there's they said it's a big man's game. It's turned into a big man's game. It's turned into a big man's game. When The crazy thing is when you look at like the MVPs, though, mm-hmm. or like best players of all tournament teams, they're not the mythological creatures. It's not the 6'10 guy. It's not the 6'9 guy. Like Taylor Sander on the U.S. national team is 6'3. Karch Karai, the best player to ever play the game, graciously listed at 6'2. Played golf with him once. Yeah. He's very competitive. He is. Oh, my um, goodness. Yeah, he don't we argued, like we argued for like an hour. He don't even like to lose in checkers. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, uh, you know this is a charity tournament. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. But he's a good yeah. dude. You're like, at least I'm Jay's hair in spirit. <laughs> right? That's what you're thinking. <laughs> With Karch Kara, right? Oh, my God. Very similar, though. Multiple NCAA championships, yep. uh, multiple um, um, 
uh, professional championships. Um, Incredible. A, Olympic gold medal. Almost the same path. They were like a year behind each other. I think Karch graduated in like 82 or something. But yep. he won. UCLA, he won like three out of four. Three out of his four years he was there. Yep. And um, that freshman named Michael hit the winning shot. And we knew, you know, we knew that was going to be special. But, Absolutely. But the, the, the crazy thing is going back to what I was saying. You got a guy, Riley Salmon. He was on my podcast. 6-1, maybe. Um, and he's a starter, and he's the captain on the 2018. He won a gold medal. So, I guess my question, and this is where we, um, where we, um, where I'm trying to get to with this European thing. How much does coaching have to do with it? If we have similar athletes, like we got, look, we got seven footers here, but but I think Europe has like for every one guy we have, Russia has three that 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 can receive serve or uh, for every tall guy we got that can dunk, they have three that can hit their free throws. Right. You know what I'm saying? It, I think, I think it is coaching in a sense of, and, and, and culture of fundamentals. I think for the longest time, and this goes back to uh, uh, like, um, I forgot the guy who was on the New Jersey nets who passed away, who was one of the first, uh, I think he's from Croatia back yeah, in the it was a, um, late 80s. Sabonis? Uh, um, no, no. Yeah, that was, um, no, oh, Petrovic. Petrovic, yes. And, you know, Drazen Petrovic. Right. And so, so they knew, looking at the, at the NBA game. Fucking guy died on the Autobahn. But, but I know, guy, exactly. Yeah. Um, but they knew that to be able to compete at some point in the future in the NBA, if they, want, they had to be, their, their fundamentals had to be impeccable and sound. Because that, at the end of the day, that's what's going to keep you on the team. And then as the, as the athleticism rose to the top, you had that rise with the top concurrently with skill sets. And then suddenly they'd come over and you're like, holy moly. Like it's incredible what they can do. They're they're you can pa- big guys can shoot a three. I mean, look at Sabonis back in the day with the uh, Portland Trailblazers. I mean, he's this big guy, looks kind of like a potato. He's like six eleven, seven feet, whatever. Beautiful soft hands, great passer, bounce pass in the lane, all kinds of stuff, and also could shoot a nice soft J from about fifteen to eighteen. Now he wasn't a three point shooter at the time, but don't have to worry about him on the free throw line. Exactly, and so that's one of those, if you look at sh- like Shaq. Like, I, I'm a stat guy. So if you look at Shaq and you take, like, if he actually just made, like, 70% of his shots or 72 from the, how much his, his his point total would have been ginormous? Mm-hmm. Just all those guys. And how many how games? How much in that GOAT conversation would he? You exactly. Because like, he's not in the GOAT conversation when you talk 100%, about those things. 100%. Had, uh, yeah. So I think it's the, it, it, at the end of the day, and this is like in life. This is even bigger, like, in my broadcast career. It's fundamentals. Right? Get a solid base of fundamentals. Like, I used to, you know, I still mentor, you know, and, and coach talent even when i was talent you know my goal was to be on a, a tv show in new york by the time i was 30 i was blessed enough to get there just in time just slid in there you know the 31 mark um but i worked my ass off i mean i started in a really you know there there are 221 markets in the country television markets the uh smallest and uh, 221st market is appropriately named glen dive montana and number one is new york and i want to go to new york right and I, that was my goal but i started market 187 Right, Eureka, California, like as far north as you can get without, you know, getting yourself impaled into a redwood. Um, and and it's, you know, but I, I shot, I edited, I wrote, I did every effing thing, produced my own sportscast because nobody, that's, it's a one man band place. But, and it's funny, there's a friend of mine, uh, Bob Lorenz, who does the yes stuff for the Yankees. And we started in the same market. And we would talk when we got to our, you know, lofty position, so to speak, when we were mentoring young people, they were all like, yo, I want to start in New York. You know, I want to start in Philly. It's like, no, you can't start in Philly. Like you got to go to like you know Birmingham, Alabama, or or you know Altoona, Pennsylvania, and get your horrible mistakes that you're going to do on the air live because you're going to do some really stupid yeah. shit on the air. 
Oh, can we swear? Sorry. No, we're here. Okay. Okay. Um, but you know, you're going to do some really it's, dumb it's stuff. The option. <laughs> yeah, on on the air, and and you need to get that out where nobody's watching you, where there's a you know eight thousand people in Altoona watching, not you know one point two million in New York. And so I I came up with all the fundamentals, and then when I got into the the upper echelon of those you know, New Yorks, and I went to Access Hollywood, and you're on this global stage, you know, union-wise, you can't shoot. Right. And you can you, I can still produce in my head, but I'd never ask the shooters to do anything that I wouldn't do myself. What I'm saying is, is that so you suddenly earn the respect of the shooters because they know for some reason, like I remember I was in New York and I, as my, I was there like a month. I went out. I was anchoring, but I went out on a story and uh, I asked um, I asked like five questions and that was it. And the crew was like, yo, that's it. I'm like, yeah, like what else is there? And, and, they're, and they're like, well, everybody else asked like 40 questions. I'm like, well, listen, it used to be me with the. You know, the camera on my shoulder, big old thing. Back in the day, a big old um, recording device yes. here. And and I'm holding... And, the, and your hand cannon. And I'm holding the mic. And yeah. like, you think I'm going to ask 40 questions? My shoulder's killing me. I'm asking four questions, I'm out. And so it helped me because then I, I earned respect from other crew members because I wouldn't ask them to do things I wouldn't do. I wouldn't waste their time. And then editors are happy because I'm not giving them 45 minutes of tape. I'm giving them five minutes... You know, of an interview I did, and I'm, I'm picking the sound bite, and it's good to go. They don't have to go through a lot. So when you're when you're crashing, when you got to go live in four minutes, and you want, you know, some editor doesn't want to have to go through, scroll through the tape to get to the, the time code that's 42 minutes in. It's actually a minute 45 in. Then that all kind of works, right? And so that's the thing about fundamentals. Back to the thing, I would learn every effing thing I could, you know, in basketball or volleyball, whatever things that you know I need to know to become a complete player. Where the, did that you make know. the athletes more accommodating? Too the the five questions does that mean yeah they, they they're like wait a second I got time for that guy yeah over time yeah because the first off the the way I kind of made my name in Hollywood was because realistically in my job in Hollywood and being on an entertainment show running around the world on movie sets and award shows and festivals around the world is that there's only about twelve of us that really do that job that's that's only twelve in the world that really do it at that level right I agree yeah. um and so. I didn't really realize it at the time because, you know, as you know, when you're climbing and you're getting your, you don't really realize like you're one of a few. But, but over time, I wouldn't sandbag people. Um, in my interviews, when I it drove producers crazy at Access Hollywood, in my interviews, I never brought notes. I studied like a mofo. So I knew <laughs> everything about Julia Roberts, even crazy shit from like, you know, where she grew up and certain traits when she grew up, just stuff that, that, that if she brought it up, offhanded that nobody else would catch i would catch that you're there yeah, yeah. so 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 <clears throat> in that moment of of not having these because when you put when you put like questions in front of you it's a barrier between you and the person of having a conversation because you're going to have an interview right so i never had that so i'd always just sit there and we i'd have the cameras roll and the first time i interviewed julia roberts we were in london for notting hill or at the dorchester and she never met me so she didn't know me at all she knew the show but she walks in and she's looking around, or whatever. And then we're start chatting. And five minutes in, she's like, "When are we going to start the interview?" I'm like, "We already started." She's like, "What are your notes?" And I'm like, "They're in here." And she's like, "We'll fucking see about that, won't we?" Yeah. And she laughed and whatever. But you know, <laughs> over time, they learned that. that I wouldn't sandbag them, and they learned over time that I could be trusted. And if I had a really tough question to ask them, you know, very delicate question, sure they're there for the movie, but we got to ask this question. I would tell them, I'd say, "Listen, everybody, shut off the cameras," because we would set up our own suite. They would come to us. We had three cameras shoot usually producers and all this stuff lighting set up all the set and i'd say listen i gotta ask you this question i'm telling you ahead of time cameras are off so i'm gonna ask it twice so have an answer and usually there's a pr person there with them so formulate your answer i'll re-ask and then we'll move on 
I said, because I respect the fact that, like, you know, this is this is a job I do. It's not who I am. I have a family. You have a family. I respect yeah. that. So over time, it allowed them to to understand me. And what was good for me in in my first like major kind of because I started in sports was uh, I was in Seattle, and at the time I was one of the youngest sportscasters in Seattle history. Most of them were older at the time because they'd been there a while, and nobody likes to leave. So I was back with you know Gary Payton and 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 Ken Griffey Jr., Rennie Johnson. Uh, I left before A Rod came up. Mr. Kemp. Yeah, yeah, the man child. I mean, unbelievable. GP, um, Brian Bosworth, all these people, right? So because I was young, and they'd look across and see these old farts, right, or who are my age now, right? but but um, and they're like, oh, this young dude. And so I, you know, I dressed differently than anybody else, and I, you know, I didn't have notes, and I'd ask different. I asked different kind of questions than most people anyway. And so over time, they're like, yo, I'll talk to this guy. So I started getting exclusive. I got an exclusive with Bo Jackson, which was my first global exclusive. That was great. Uh, when he wanted to be traded. So yeah, it's one of those things where you, you, you have to do the fundamentals. And what I always tell people when I, when I mentor them is in anything in life, like I also uh, mentor startup founders on pitching early stage when they're mm-hmm. pitched to, you know, to raise capital, is that there's always one question, like when you go to pitch something, there's one question you don't want the investors to ask you. There's always one, right? Yep. And you're like, oh, shit, oh, shit, please don't ask me that question. My thing is, op- is the opposite. And it's the same way I think probably when you train in sports, train for your weakest spot, right? Because that's yeah. going to kill you at some point. I say, listen, find an answer to that. Because what's going to happen is if you go into that pitch meeting, this part of your brain right here is going to be like, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit, don't ask me. But if you already have it formulated, yep. that part of your brain is going to be calm and it's going to actually accentuate how you're pitching. And by the way, it can be just like not even having an answer. Say, you know what? We don't have that answer. And I'm glad you asked that question because that's why we're coming to you. We're thinking that you can help us. If you come and invest, you're a value add investor and you can help us solve that problem. But you know, we have all the answers for most things, but this one we don't and we yeah. might need some help. And I'll tell you what, investors love that because here's the thing. They hear a thousand pitches a year, if not more, right? And they know when you're bullshitting them. It's like you and I, like we know about athletes and stuff. Like if an yeah. athlete's bullshitting you, if they did worked out or didn't do work out, you yeah. know. Like right away. Yeah, you're like, sure you did your 100 push-ups last night. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so that's the thing is like get the fundamentals down, admit yeah. to your weak spots and work on your weak spots. So, yeah. Well, for for me, the the how this translates to this podcast, um, I ask questions. And the cool thing about the podcast, unless we're live, and actually we're live right now. But, awesome. Um, but unless we're live, there's not anything you can't take out. Uh, that's one. And two... They trust me to keep running because they know that I know that if I violate anything that's supposed to be not repeated, that I lose my my my, my guest list and my brand. It mm-hmm. took me, it took me about fifty episodes for people to kind of you know I've I've had mid level players. I'm I'm a, I'm a long time coach, so people just came on who were yeah you know who already won we have reputation who already won NCAA championships who've already you know coached yep. this and that. But the cool thing that repeat guests always say about me two things is one is anything that they say to me when this isn't running it doesn't it doesn't get repeated right. and and it's the reason they come on because and interviews are one thing but on uh, on interviews they're careful they get their pr guy but what divides a podcast from an interview and this is what i learned in the 100 episodes they want to say it they want they oh, they 100%. they in their heart of hearts they want to talk about it. Riley Simon uh, came clean about his opioid addiction. Yep. You know, a gold medalist. Uh, um, Hocked his gold medal for fucking drugs. So uh, so, but I think he did it. And I and I chimed in at the end and I said this is important because and you'll appreciate this. There are people out there who think they're alone. 
You know, there are people out there who think that they're, that this is something that only they struggle with. Everybody else is perfectly normal. I don't want to. I don't want to say anything. I don't want people to think I'm weaker. Or, it's the or, look, or, you it's, know, it's and, a social and, media facade of is, Instagram and, and everything is, else. Yes, be, and it's been blown up because of social media uh, uh, three times. It's it's these. I call them the two gangs, the two small gangs that um, make themselves look bigger than they really are. And their goal is to fake it till they make it. They they, they, they recruit enough people, then then they're big for real. And it's already fucking too late. And might, it might already be too late in some senses. Right. <laughs> but um, I really like that he came clean with that. And I thought it was super necessary for him to, him to come clean because the purpose of this podcast is always to ask the fucking question. I'm not going to have all the answers. Dude, I'm a fucking moron. All right? <laughs> like Joe Rogan said, I'm, you know, don't come to me for political advice. Right. I'm, not, I'm not the expert that's supposed to provide you from the, with the answers. But how many experts do you see out there asking the question that they're supposed to answer? They're not going to ask their own question. It takes, I, I guess on the extreme sense, it takes a moron to ask the question for the expert to answer. I'm not, I'm not, not a moron right. per se. I'm, just, I'm an average kid from Brooklyn. But, but for us to pose a question, and for us to speak on these things on the level that is appropriate, that we don't need an expert for, um, starts the conversation. And then if someone wants to delve into it, I'm like, you know what? Maybe we get someone in that knows, knows a little bit more about this. You know, yeah. like, for example, last episode, I told Wendy, I like steak. I cook steak. I eat steak. Am I a chef? No, right. no, I'm not a chef. But I could talk. I could talk about some steak. I, I know yeah. what medium rare looks like. So I'm. I guess what I'm trying to say is there are people out there that are like, oh, I, I, I you got to love these guys talking about things and not expert. No, no, none of us are experts. And the experts and the experts won't ask the question because they already know the answer. Well, They're not gonna ask their, themselves the question and then speak speak from above here. You know that that no one's gonna listen to them anyway. Well, so, I have I have a stat please, for you. Please go ahead. So. Research was was done. Um, I think they analyzed more than four years of pundits on CNBC. Okay. And they found that the louder mm -hmm. they were and the more demonstrative that they were, the less correct they were. And they found out that if you watch CNBC, you had a better chance of making money if you just flipped a coin on something than listen to the pundits. Yeah. And so that's what you have to think about because what you – while while CNBC has done a fairly good job now of vetting those people who are on and they do like a little drop down menu of like the, this, this and this. And, you know, they, they're not if they're talking about Starbucks, they'll list of like what the fund is invested. They're not right. investors in Starbucks or if they are, then you need to know because it's a conflict of interest. Right. Right. And so but yeah, that so that on the whole expert thing, there are a lot of them, at least in the pundit world that you'll see on CNN and MSNBC and Fox and what have you. There's a they're usually wrong or half the time they're wrong, they've found. And B, there's usually an agenda. There's usually some sort of agenda that they're either pushing their own brand yeah. or they're pushing their book or they're pushing some sort of narrative that will get them clicks on Twitter, Instagram, and potentially maybe if they're doing TikTok. Um, so you have to really be aware of, this is a much larger conversation that we could have, where is your, where is your information coming from? Mm -hmm. And is it AI directed? Because what happens is, is that from a media standpoint, for, even my mom, my mom, you know, will go on Facebook and she'll click on something or, or she'll click on something that maybe she wants to buy from Lowe's, right? Maybe like some sort of um, hoses or something for the garden. Yeah. And then she'll be on Facebook and the damn hose thing will pop up like yes. from Home Depot, right? Dude, I'm like, get, yo, get out of my head. <laughs> yeah. So, But here's the thing. It's the same thing with news. So my point being is, think about this. Think about if you're 
you have th- four silos. You have winter, summer, spring, and fall, right? And say suddenly you start looking at stuff for spring, right? Like what's going on in spring? I, I like spring. And pretty soon you're going to start getting fed things that are only that are spring, spring relatable. Then what will happen is you're not going to know really what's happening in the winter or the fall or, you know, um, summertime. And pretty soon you'll be siloed only in spring and you're not going to have much knowledge. So winter and, and summer are going to look different to you suddenly. And so it's the same thing with, with viewpoint. If you click on, even if I click on like, um, you know, conspiracy theory for the, for, um, for the, the, the election, yeah. I'm going to start getting stuff that's going to be both sides. One yep. will be conspiracy theory, it'll be completely out of control, weird shit that, you know, the yeah. vaccine has traceable things what, in there. Like a memory, uh, like a, a chip, chip. Yeah, some sort of bullshit. To track you but, down. But, but, some, but what something. happens is, and, mm-hmm. and, and I say this with all sincerity, there are some people I've grew, I grew up with who I consider fairly intelligent who have been AI'd because they, it, it's human, it's subconsciously, and you know this from sports, of subconscious and, and, and how important it is, there are ways that you can, if you still have these inputs, 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 over a while, your subconscious is going to start reminding your conscious of whatever those inputs are. It's like, don't watch the news before you go to bed. Mm-hmm. Just don't watch violent kind of shit before you go yeah, to bed because no, your subconscious yeah. will play that and over time. So it's the same thing. So people have to be really cognizant of being their own expert. Like, I think you were onto something. Like be your own expert, you know? And, and I, like I'll watch, like I don't, I think Fox News has a crazy ass, you know, messaging and and i i got in arguments with roger ailes back in the day when i was at access but the one thing fox did very well is they knew what they were they knew their they knew their north star yep. and they were gonna they weren't gonna apologize for it right. and i you know from that business standpoint it's i a money maker. i applaud them you know in the meantime msnbc had no clue what they were back in the day no they yeah. were all over the board yeah. and what have you so so just be aware of where the information comes from, and on occasion, get out of your spring silo, which is always nice with flowers, yeah. and go see what's happening in the winter. Yep. And just check it out. You may not like it, but just check it out and see, okay, that's a different viewpoint. Oh, in mm-hmm. winter, they have to can stuff. They can't go out and have dinner like that because it's cold. Just little things like that that I think overall can help broaden your perspective because AI is extraordinarily, extraordinarily dangerous, and we haven't seen the, the, yeah. the beginnings of it. Look, look well, how divided we are. I, I discovered it by accident. I'm, I'm what you would call a classic centrist. I, I, lean, I lean probably more left than right, but I, I guess in the short sentence, I like my guns and my gay people. And I'll leave it at that. All right. Yeah. Um, so, so people ask me all the time, like, are you Republican? I said, or Democrat. No. I'm like, I'm neither. Here's what I am. I am, I am candidate based. Right. And I'm issue based. There it is. So I don't give a shit if you're independent, Republican, yeah. if it's a good idea that can help humans yeah. and help us, I'm, I'm behind you. Well, for me, I was going to get to what I was going to say, but chiming in on that, I believe change happens on a smaller scale anyway. Like in 2016, it was the first time I, I, I didn't vote for a president. I did vote. I, I voted. I voted for Napolitano. I voted, you know, he's a Republican. I voted for, for this person, leans left over here. Because I believe real change is going to happen from the bottom up anyway. V- very rarely, and people are going to disagree me, but, with me, but tough shit. Very rarely, and I'm not saying never, but very rarely is a president going to do something that affects you. Uh, the working man every day of the week. It might affect the really wealthy or it might affect the really, really broke and no one else in between. Uh, uh, the only the only president that's actually affected my bottom line or, my, or, or, or the way I do things, Barack Obama actually signed a bill, Veterans Retraining Assistance Program. You know, I got um, my boss retired, Dr. Rosenfeld, 
House Calls on Fox, if yep. you remember him. Yep, yep. That was, I've, I've been with him for 17 years. Okay. I started as a file clerk and then I became his, what you call his man. Yeah. You know, did, do, doing APSs, attending physician statements, helping people get their insurance, stuff like that. Um, keeping the rich richer, I guess. But, but um, what the hell did it, what the hell was the thought? Well, the president actually did something well, yeah. change. Yeah. So when he retired, too. They're yeah. basically looking for ways to let go of the staff. And I was done with this nine to, nine to five shit anyway. I'm not, I'm, I realize You're not a nine to five guy. You do, anyway. I did what I had to do, you know, to survive. And, yeah, of course. And, and now he retired. Now it's an opportunity. Wow. For the same shitty pay, I could just do three volleyball jobs. At the time, I was still doing theater. So, I was, you know, got, it gave me some, some autonomy or whatever. But there was a bill. Um, Veterans Retraining Assistance Program. If you get laid, laid off to no, to no fault of your own, they pay for your education for a two-year college and some four-year colleges and, and, and any vocational school. They pay you fifteen hundred a month until you, until you're done, which which you can you can yeah. allocate towards books and resources. So the first forty thousand veterans, it was basically they were basically experimenting to see if they can do it on if they have enough money and resources and inclination to do it on the population. But they were experimenting with veterans, right? right. And I I went to real estate school tried that out for a year you know what i'm saying but but that was but the point is i didn't have the money to pay for real estate school i didn't have enough money i didn't have the money to to set myself up for the long game because new york if you're in rentals it is a dog eat dog world, oh, yeah, and you're gonna you're gonna end up having to put more money in than you'll ever get out the first six months so so that's an example of how someone did something. He didn't introduce the bill, so I don't even give right. him complete credit, but he signed it. Yeah. You know, the guy, the guy's looking out for vets. Well, which there's to, also the Jobs which Act. Which to me, yeah. The Jobs well, Act is very huge, too, because that opened up, mm-hmm. that opened up investing to more people. Yep. It opened, opened up, like, my, my, uh, a guy I know named Mike Norman. Uh, yep. He co-founded WeFunder.com. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was part of all of that because he, he needed to open up the opportunity for average everyday people like us yeah. to invest. And you, you have to, you know, you have to be liquid of $250,000 and all this other stuff prior to that. Mm-hmm. Now you don't need that. You can invest as little as $100 and $200. And that's, that's a huge thing. And that was yeah. part of the Obama thing too, which I really liked. I think you and I discovered the, the AI thing though, to, um, almost at the same time because you're centrist. I have friends where I would side with them. And once I side with that person and, and there's, and of course the slew of Facebook posts, if it's, if the majority are, are lean left, all of a sudden I'm getting stuff on my Facebook stuff fed from me from the left. All right. Yeah. And then as soon as I, I agree with a bunch of Republicans, all of a sudden, all of those guys who lean right, not just, not just, um, uh, paid ads, but those people who post on Facebook, those guys are littered on my wall. They're, they're like, they're, yeah. it's like the same 10 guys over, uh, James Barker, you know who you are. I'm like, where's my, where's my camera? You know who you are. Yeah. And you, and that's my dude, but, um, <laughs> but he, he's the first guy that pops up on my, whatever. And we're, the guy lives in Texas. I got friends, dude, I got friends here. I got friends in New York, yeah. you know what I'm saying? But this, it's this whole slew of Republican space Rangers because I was like, uh, I said the taboo thing that none of my lefties want to hear. Trump is right about that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> By the way, you know? that's the thing. You know, I, I mean, I, I didn't vote for the guy, but I, I mean, well, what are we? Twelve? We can't. You can't agree with someone, right? That you don't like if he's right. That's are, the problem with the country. What, what, are we eleven years old? Yeah. If it's right, it's right. If yeah. it's you know, and if, if it's not, it's not. No, and and I agree with you. I think that's one of the big problems is is that. You have to be all in, and anytime you're all in on something, you're going to miss yeah. a shit ton of other things oh, and opportunities, yep. and, and and whether it's in love, in you know, with love and 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 your partner or finding a partner. I remember, I went back home to Seattle once, and I'd finished college, and I was working somewhere, and we had a bunch of ballers that we used to play with back in high school and college, and so we all got to this gym, 
and it's uh, like five or six of them were good friends I'd known since I was like sixth grade. And we're all sitting around. We're done. We've been playing for hours. You know how it is. You're sitting, you got your water and you're hanging out and we're chatting about life. And all of us are married at this point, right? Except for this one guy, this friend of ours. I won't say his name, but like, we're like, dude, why aren't you married? And he goes through this list of like all these things that his potential girlfriend and wife has to have. And as guys will do, my one buddy looks at me, he goes, dude, you don't have fucking half of those things. Are you out of your mind? It's like, you have to understand and be realistic about things and compromise. Like out of the 20 things he listed, he had maybe eight of those qualities. Like you expect somebody else to have, you know, all 20, like what's wrong with you? (laughs) And I think a reality check of understanding and being realistic and coming to the middle about things. Cause it's like, it's like, you know, we, I always say this, like when I give talks or whatever, if I'm on a panel or if I'm in front of an audience, I always say, who's the person you talk to the most? Is it your mom? You know, your, is it your mom? Raise your hand. Is it your dad? Every, every day, right? And nobody, most people don't get it, but the person you talk to the most is yourself, <laughs> right? And we bullshit ourselves every day. Some of it's big time shit. It gets you in trouble and you, you know, you sell your hockey gold medal to have some drugs. But a lot of it's little stuff like, okay, I see those socks in the corner. I'm going to pick them up. You know you're not going to pick those things up. No. So you have to figure out in your life, you know, how much bullshit are you going to bullshit yourself? Because if you stop bullshitting yourself, then I think everything else, and I speak from experience, so it's not like I'm this dude who's no bullshit. But the, the more you become real with yourself, and especially over time, because, you know, I'm 20-something and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, the world's on fire and I'm, I'm great at my job. I'm in my 30s. I'm in New York and I'm killing it on a show. And, you know, that's all that. But then there are some things I should, probably should have done in my 30s that would have been a little smarter to set the groundwork for my 40s and 50s, right? And, and, yeah, and here, as, here. yeah, and as you, but as you mature and as life changes be okay with that. And I think a lot of times for me, and I'll speak from my experience, look, I was a lone wolf. I, you know, and in sports I played, I was quarterback, pitcher, and shooting guard. People said, oh, you, want, you just want the glory. I'm like, no, I want the most in- interesting position. That's, the, you know, I love that. And yeah. that's, so in my life, I ended ball, up being, a setter. Yeah. yeah, and I ended up being an anchor on television, mm-hmm. not be, instead of a producer or somebody in the field, because that's the most important, not the most important, the most interesting job. Everything funnels through me, right? If there's a, if there's a plane crash, you know, East Mauritius, Long Island, TW800, I'm the field anchor. Everything goes through me and I can control the flow. I can help things. That to me is interesting. If I'm just running around as a producer, no offense to producers because I have mm-hmm. friends who are amazing producers, but I'm not good at that. And right. it's not, you're not that interesting to me. So over time, you know, my problem was I was this lone wolf that made it right to a certain level. And I think if I had started asking for help and I started, you know, realizing that maybe my way was good to this point, but now I needed to kind of change my modus operandi. Mm-hmm. I think I would have had, like I probably would have written a book by now because yeah. I've got two books I could write. I read yeah. one about all those Hollywood stuff that like you were saying earlier, it happens off mic or off the camera that I like, holy crap, but I'm not going to write that book. Right. So I, I think, you know, in, in the, in the lone wolf sense and the, and as, as guys and people in the world, if you evolve and continue to evolve and realize that, um, it'll help. I just had a problem asking for help. I just never asked for help. Yeah. You know, I, and the crazy thing is like asking for help is good because when you make mistakes, you survive the mistakes better because you, people knew that you were going through this and they're like, wait, this dude's a boss. He made that mistake here, but you know what? I already know that because we work together on this and yeah. you know, can I give you an example? Oh, sure. actually recent is June. Um, Coconut Beach. It's a, it was a small AVP promotion, but for me, it was what I call my, um, my, my big, kind of like my big breakthrough. 
you know, moved here five years ago. Yep. I just started over, right? Pay dues again. It's California. It's volleyball. They're incestuous. And that's okay because between you and me, we wanted, we want, we want interesting stuff. And to do that, eventually we put our nose in the work and, and the cream rises to the top. So with that being said, I'm at Coconut Beach. I'm calling center court right um calling court one by myself doing center court color commentary while the other guys doing play by play and then for the finals um i ended up having to do um play and then my the mc ended up you know put the mic down and had to do color um but the entire tournament my f phone the internet, the feedback is literally blowing up uh, from the praise. And they're like, oh my God, finally someone that, you know, no disrespect to the other broadcast teams, but this guy's analytical. He he makes me understand why why first step is important, the difference between a two block switch and a four block switch. East Coast, we only do ones and twos. What's a three, four, and five? I never knew, you know. Um, so I spoke from this place highly intelligently, but at the same time, not from up here, like an asshole, you right. know, from here, eye to eye. So, but there was a glaring mistake that I made that really, really, really bothered me and I thought was just gonna get me canceled. The semifinals, the Brazilians, uh, um, the Olympian, Larissa is right. now, either her wife, um, Liliane, she is an American citizen, so they got married, so now they're on, they're on a domestic tour. So I'm watching it and one of my friends is like, Toledo looks really, really good and I'm like, that's not Toledo, you know, because uh. Larissa's short, Liliane's tall. But Liliane and Toledo do look, I mean, Toledo's higher cheekbones, but from a distance, if you look at their body language and the way they hit, only the most diehard Brazilian. I mean, you got to live in fucking Curitiba to know. <laughs> uh, um, but, and I just looked and I said, that's, that doesn't look like her to me. And then another player comes up, he's like, yeah, that's her. And I'm like, that's not her, right? So, uh, and, this I, is, I, and this is on the air. No, no, this okay. is in between matches. Okay. I'm watching a warm okay. up. So what what happens is I like to like Andrew Dice Clay. Sometimes you keep you know some comedians keep the mic on the stand mm. in between sets. I literally stand in the end of the stage and I t and I took my metaphoric mic off the stand. People from the crowd are like, "Hey, you looking good? What do you think of this match?" And I'm and I'm there. I'm in the shit talking to people because that's why I think I I can do my work. Yeah, the and best. you thrive. Yeah, and I do because you get you get the energy from it. One hundred percent. It's like that Hulk Hogan, you know, hit me again and then yeah. <laughs> drop the leg. <laughs> so so I call a guy over and I, I'm really trying hard not to name names because they ended up fucking me on this. I asked the third person and he's like, yeah, it looks like Toledo to me. Turns out it wasn't Toledo. Turns out they were kind of pulling a rib on me. Uh, I, I got honey dicked. Okay? Uh, I, got, okay. I got hoodwinked. I never and heard for, that honey dicked? Yeah. I've never now, heard Brendan that. Schaub, where you where you at? Joe Rogan, Brian Callen, thank you for that. Honey and something dicked. sells you something that sounds like a bill of goods. Sweet and good, and but it's it it. yeah, yeah, yeah. a bamboozle. But I like honey dick. I'm, I'm uh, gonna I keep using it until until I got a new but, one in the arsenal today. But basically for an entire match. Oh shit. I'm calling this girl Toledo. Oh no. Lil Larissa's wife. It's they just right. they, they got married. They're trying to promote their brand right, and together. You're... And here and, and this schmuck from with a Yankee hat, right? Yeah. Uh, um you're right, not not a AVP hat, not a not some West Coast gear, not someone yeah. that looks like he's whatever. And when I came back home, I looked at my social media and that's I got praise. No one New, except an entire country. Okay, right. well, yeah. but the United States of America didn't give a fuck. Right, they didn't know. They didn't care. So, what'd you learn from that? What I learned was that um, first off, it's humbling as shit because I've done similar stuff, yeah. so I know. Well, what I learned is you have two choices. You can, well, in my case, three. You could just lay low till it blows over, and then the next series, you, you whatever. The second thing is you could 
I don't know. You could say I didn't know Brazil had internet. You know, yeah. <laughs> whatever. Oh no, but that they're both one. Lay low. But the and the third one is just hey, come clean on social media. I did this. I made. I, I did 17 matches that I called um to near perfection, and yep. this was this one glaring thing. And so so I chose to come clean, and I learned that if you are really really good at what you do, it helps to come clean. Because eventually, eventually, someone's going to find your worst moment anyway. Like if someone doesn't like you, it's yeah. not really hard. Between you and me, we're, I mean, we're in our 50s right now. If someone looks really, I, I'm yeah. not even going to say looks really deep. If someone looks back in my past, they can take my worst moments, right? Yeah. And then put all these little worst moments together, forget all the good stuff and say, oh, that's who he is. And, and for those people, fuck off, right? I mean, we, we've, we've, already, we've yeah. already graduated that point. So Let's what, see how perfect so you are. So to answer your question, and I'm going to give you the floor. What I've learned from that is... Um, when you do really, really, really well, people um, reward you for that excellence, and 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 they're they're very forgivable with your mistakes. Do you know what I did? I'm gonna I, I might while you're talking, I'm gonna pull up a video. I went, I saw them in Atlantic City. I bought her flowers, Lillian. Okay. And I said, I know I hurt you, you know, because I said she was hurt. Her agent said, yeah, yeah. you know, she was hurt, and, and you know, I mean, yeah. it, it, they're just trying to build this brand, and you know, and and you're and you're someone like me is supposed to know if I'm this volleyball aficionado, Absolutely. and I'd like to think I, I, in my heart of hearts, I believe I am, but man, so I said, here's some flowers, um, I said, here's some dark chocolate. Right, I gave him dark, um, for both of them. Yeah, yeah. I said, "Here's a Slunks T-shirt. I could only afford one, so I'm not that sorry. You're gonna have to fight yourself." Over <laughs> so, here it is. So I there said, basically, here's some flowers. I said, here's some dark chocolate. And how long is this after you made the mistake? This was this is last week in Atlantic City. Okay. I went. Well, first thing I did the next day went on every social media outlet. Of course. Apologize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but this is the first time I got a chance to see. What, what, and what was their response? What, what did, I mean, obviously you got. Well, hugged. basically, here's how I said. Did they understand it? This this will tell you what their response is when I when I said this. I said I know I hurt you, and I'm really really sorry. And I said. My birthday is around is around is Monday. That was July twenty sixth. Yep. And I said the only present that will mean anything to me is your forgiveness. Ah, look at you, Come oh, on. Brooklyn. How's, how's somebody gonna? And she just said, "Please don't make me cry." And then so oh. that's the video. She gave me a hug or whatever. Yeah. And then um, the agent was like, "How's that work out, Larissa?" And she goes, <laughs> "Turns around like, <laughs> like don't start your shit." So, so to answer your question, and I really hope I did. I think I screwed. Yeah, no, uh, no, you uh, did. I, I did a Kanye West all the way over here and came back. <laughs> but um, the answer is um, one. If you don't own take, the, if you don't own take unfairness, kicking and screaming, keep your head in the work, you will be put in a position where they love you regardless. Just don't, yeah. Just own up to your mistakes and don't, and you know, and that's it. Well, in my one of my early early gigs, I was a sports anchor, and um, this was a while ago, but uh, I was so young, I was like twenty two, maybe I don't know. Mm -hmm. And there's this Hall of Famer who played for the Philadelphia Phillies, a third baseman. His name is Mike Schmidt. I called him Mike Shit twice. <laughs> twice during the broadcast i'm like it's like it's like my maybe my my second month so i've, I've done maybe like 20 shows no and it just it was mike it just came out i was so nervous and i did it the first time and i'm like i'm like did i just say that but obviously you know highlights are running you can't stop yeah. so then I, and then i went back and then and then i said it not as 
as clear as the first time. But I thought, oh, you think, oh, I'm an idiot. I'm going to lose. They're going to, you know, the, the news director and the GM are going to call me in. They're going to fire me for swearing on the air. But then you realize, like, okay, I'm in a really small market. People suck all the time, and they're, we're trying to get, you know, we're trying to get better, so they they understand that. You know, and, and I didn't have social media at the time, and obviously way back in those days. But it was one of those things where I learned early on that you just got to admit it. Because I think what happens is, too, like if, if you don't own it, like if you didn't own that, that's going to be in the back of your head for a while. It's going to weigh so on you, is, and you're going to be carrying that shit around for a while. It and- was the biggest self-straw man fallacy. I, did, I called 17 matches that weekend. Yeah. So, like. And my dumbass, all I could think about was uh, was carrying that backpack. Exactly. Sorry. But no, and by the way, everybody who watches has screwed up. They've done something stupid, and so they can relate. One of the th- best pieces of advice I ever got was I was in Northern California. I was like in my junior year. I really, you know, I had a degree in journalism and editorial writing and minor in radio and television and all this good stuff. And so, you know, we could watch San Francisco television at the time because we're four hours north, right? So we got it on cable and. You know, these are broadcasters. It's the fifth largest market in the country. They're seasoned. They're really good. And there was a dude that did sports down there on KTVU Channel 2 named Mark Ibanez. And he, it was like I was sitting next to him just having a beer. He was so conversational and good and all this stuff. So, you know, I called him up because back in the day all he had was a phone. Finally got through to him. I said, yo, I said, listen, can I come down and shadow you for a couple of days? I'm this young guy. I suck, but I want to do what you do. And he's like, yeah, you know, come on down. And he was really gracious. So I came down. I shadowed him. And at the very end, I said, listen, What's the one piece of advice you'll give me? He goes, you know, it's funny you ask that. He goes, because I asked the same question at your age of somebody who is now my age. And he goes, and I'm going to tell you exactly what they told me. He goes, and, and just let me finish it because it's going to sound obvious. But here's the reason why. And I took this with me to heart. And he said, listen, just be yourself on the air. There's a lot of people. There are, there are a lot of people in this business who want to be Joe Anchor. He goes, and here's the problem with that. When shit goes wrong, live on the air, and it will, if you're Joe Anchor, you're going to have to think for half a second, how would Joe Anchor react, as opposed to reacting instantaneously to whatever shit happened. He goes, and when you do that, when when you react instantaneously, the audience is reacting with you in real time instantaneously as well. And be, and be as real as possible. And he goes, and what will happen is, is people will, will understand who you are. They'll know that you're, that you're not perfect. And they will, they will inadvertently or they will, they will come to like you and feel like a kinship with you. And they will feel like that they can have a beer with you. So fast forward. I thanked him, whatever. And this is, you know, 1986 or 7? 86. And so I kept that to heart, always myself, and, you know, even doing the Mike shit stuff and whatever happened to me along the way. And I ended up, getting, you know, being in New York. And so they did uh, a little bit of um, research on me once I was on the air for a while. You know, your Q rating, how much your name resonates with people and how they recognize you and what have you, and what are their comments about you. And I was able, I wasn't supposed to see it, but I saw some of the research, and one of the prevailing comments was, we feel like we could have a, you know, a cup of joe with him. We feel like we have a beer with him. So I took a picture of that. And I was like, holy shit, it's what Mark said way back. And I hadn't talked to him since. And so I took a picture of it. And this is back in 1995. So you couldn't really email, you know. Remember back, right. in, back in the day, the page took like an hour and a half to, to, yeah, to load. You, you Kids didn't... don't realize this this day, but it's no, like. No, you're like, for that, I could just pick up the phone. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I took a picture of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, uh, we printed it out. 
And then I wrote him a little note and I said, dude, you don't remember me, I'm sure, but I'm an anchor in New York. You told me that someday they would like, you know, want to, they could have a beer with me. I said, here's the research. I said, you know, th- thank you so much. I don't know if you ever got it, but I sent it to him. But it's one of those things that's back to what you say. At the end of the day, just be yourself and own it. And sometimes it's going to, you know, the, the initial slow burn in the back of your head and down the back of your neck because you effed up will, will, be, will be soothed by the fact that you know you did the right thing. And that, and the, and the, and the benefit down the road will be incrementally more than the slow burn. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, for my bottom line, like at some point, I do want to do um the tour, like a, a a tour stop like Manhattan Beach, or if the AVP comes yeah. back comes back to New York, I think it would be commentating malpractice for them not to have me for New York. Hundred percent. You know, in fact, I I I, promote, I like that line, commentating yeah. malpractice. Yeah, I mean, dude, I brought. I was the head coach at Hunter High School for five years, yep. and um, and I would, but I was also the head, one of the coaches for the exceptional seniors All Star game. So they have an indoor, indoor. So you, got, you got the cred. You got yeah, a but podcast. they have an, You can you can yeah, communicate. But I was also the head coach good. at City College for two years. Yeah. Uh, Baruch for four. So so there, I, so I your bona fides are your bona fides, dude. I, I put, say. but like an, an entire section of the bleachers came uh, showed up because of because yeah. of me. Uh, uh, but um, I think the point I was trying to make in my mind, I was scared because they're like. This guy can't make that mistake and be on this show. And 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 for me, the only reason why I came clean is because one, if I'm <clears throat> might as well fess up, and two, if they already have their mind made up anyway, I don't want to hide and not have my um my dignity. Yep. You, you know 100%. what I'm saying? Uh, um, what you were talking about being yourself and and uh, and whether you're 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 an easygoing guy or whether you're just like I don't give a fuck guy. Um, out here is go- that's golden. That's uh, uh, my boy Jeff Samuels, uh, episode fifty volleyball player. He's from Michigan and he's out here. He's like, dude, and now he talk. He talks like a surfer. Black guy talk like us. He said, dude, that 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 little New York thing. He said, that's out here. That's gold. You keep that, man. <laughs> yeah, that's how he sounds. He yeah, said, yeah, I mean, yeah. on, the, on the listen on the mic, you're thinking this this dude's dude, this dude's like a blonde haired surfer guy. No, right. He is African. Like if he was on the Voice, you would think he's no. Nah, he's an African American yeah. from Flint, Michigan, former nice. lacrosse turned into volleyball player. But the important thing I was I tried to remember is if i compromise who i am to to get something my fear has been one i feel like i'm selling out two if i don't get what i want i'm on the outside looking in and i have no fucking soul so there there's this level of pride that holds me back from some things of course but but at the same time is so much sweeter if you keep your virtue and get to where you want, because that's that's the sweetness. That's that's the that's that's the esh we're talking no, we're talking about. Listen, I know I know somebody who's who is raising money, uh, uh, you know, startup, um, great startup, great idea, and and they would raised like 150 seed just to get up and running and getting an MVP, you know, uh, minimum viable product and what have you, and then uh, they met with this billionaire and uh, and who came in and and you know offered three million of the race, but, you know, then wanted half of the company. And, you know, this person was smart enough, had been around the block, had made mistakes previous. So was there, therefore was, was a veteran, so to speak, you know, had the battle wounds to, to prove it hell, yeah. and turn this guy down. I mean, flat out four meetings, four meetings in 24 hours, this guy wanted. Mm-hmm. And at finally at the end turned him down. And this guy said to this, this founder, Nobody turns me down. She said, listen, with all due respect, I just don't think it's a right fit for our company. Right. And he was not happy about that. But that, A, 
positioned the company in a way that was not going to be subjected to this whim of this guy who who is is worth a billion and has and has by the way has has deconstructed companies and and sold out and all that stuff so it was smart and 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 this person also had dignity the it protected the company protected the just a few people who were on the staff at the time and made it actually much more it, it opened the door because had he been in it's like it's like when you keep certain people in your life that are negative, the reason why you can't find, for the most part, like, where are all the good people, right? It's like, because they're blocking them. Yeah. Once you get them out, out of the way, the positive people come. It's like it's like dating and finding the right person. If you keep Well, you suffer from secondhand stress. You just said yes. the conversation that you have the most is with yourself. And if you're surrounded by negative people, guess what? Sooner yeah. or later when they leave, you're going to you're going to have this conversation with yourself and solve exactly. And then that allows the Sorry. good people to be able to come in, right? right? And, Hopefully. and you know. Yeah. No, they they will. I, I think if you manifest it and you and you say it and I've been, you know, like I think everything we're talking about here and people you know who are watching this can take take away from this. We've already done all these mistakes. Like, we're not professing to be like these people who know it all. What we're just saying is like, look, I've been down that path through the forest. If you go through there, you need a long sleeve shirt on the right side because something's going to whack you. Yeah. And then when you get around the corner, there's a bear. So have your running shoes on and whatever things you need to make noise. I mean, we're just telling like that's what we did. We made those mistakes. Here's how you can get through it. But you know, on, how on did a, you how did you realize you were picked? They they picked up or you were picking up shit, Mike shit. Um, well, how did I realize it? I mean, what do or you mean? Did someone bring it to your attention? Or oh, I, I, I heard myself that? say it. <laughs> and I'm, that's why I'm like, in the moment, like I was saying, like in the moment, I'm like, did I just say Mike shit? Yeah. But meanwhile, the highlights are still going. My co-anchor, like head nearly snapped off, like, holy crap, what did he just say? And then I said it kind of again, but I slurred it. So then it's like, am I, I'm thinking, are these people thinking I'm drunk? Yeah. Like it was just brutal. But what that also did. Oh, so it wasn't a fly under the radar thing. Do you remember like Sarah Palin was like O'Biden? Uh, uh, um, there was a vice presidential debate and she kept calling him Senator O'Biden. Yeah. No one picked it up. She yeah. rehearsed, kept messing it up, kept messing it up. And yeah. sorry. Well, I, I was, no, but yeah. I was actually, by the, by the way, I was at the Biden um, Palin debate in, um, in, in St. Louis at uh, Washington yeah. University, so I was there for that. I saw. Yeah. That so you? Oh, you're at that. Yeah. Yeah. So that was. Oh, yeah. Biden was mentioned five times, I, and I no know. one fucking knew. That's I why know. I was like, you kept realizing the whole shit thing. Oh my yeah. god! And you know, and the thing is, is though, and what I think the the main point of that is to anybody listening, is that you're going to make the mistakes. The key to the making the mistakes is a. How do you recover? Uh huh. And do you learn? Because that made me a little bit more vigilant. It made me do a lot more um, verbal work off camera to really start to enunciate. My, the problem with my brain and my mouth is my brain goes a thousand miles an hour. I mean, yeah. it really does. And so sometimes I have a problem getting it out in a, in a sentence that doesn't have like four words missing because I'm already on to the next like nine sentences. So I've had to learn how to slow my brain down, how to articulate better, Mm -hmm. um, see, like right now, I'm doing it in my head. Even though I've been, I've done what eight thousand shows in my life. I've done twenty thousand pieces of content. I still, to this day, have to slow myself down because a, I get excited. B, I love people and humans. I mean, yeah. my whole career has been built on storytelling. We do, dude. We do tongue push-ups. I mean, we, um, when we're excited, we our language speeds up. I guess taking beats is important. Like if you know this and that, so a hundred percent, yeah, but just learn from them. And those mistakes made me better because I yeah. was vigilant. And I think it comes from my sports background, mm -hmm. you know, of, of being a kid and playing ball. You know, I knew if somebody beat my ass, I'm like, okay, I know what I have to work on. Like, there's no, there's no like fake it to make it when you're playing sports. Like, if you get your ass beat on the court, 
it's like it's there. Like it's you true. can't you can't blame anybody. No. And it shows your weakness, and you got to go back and either fix that weakness, or you're gonna get beat again. I agree. So that's you know. Yeah. Uh, look. Well, you got what? You got the All Star um, MVP, right? Yeah, but the, but got, listen. Yeah. Did yeah, so, you get that celebrity, or was it? A yeah, celebrity yeah. I won. MVP? Yeah, I won the the uh, NBA uh, All Star Games celebrity MVP. Now, listen. There's Jamie Foxx and Lil Bow Wow, so there's not a whole lot of competition, and Jamie will beg to differ. Um, but actually, Jamie's not too bad. No, um, but he's but competitive like Hart, he's, right? He yeah, doesn't want to he, lose in checkers. No, he's competitive. Yeah, yeah. He, Jamie's very competitive. And Jamie... It's, Jamie, right. it's not like Ch- Chuck Liddell has a problem, which is just Jamie Foxx. <laughs> We're good, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, and I like Jamie. Ja- the thing I loved about Jamie and Robert Downey Jr., those two guys I interviewed quite a bit, is that their brains are really fast. Yeah. So it's kind of fun for me. And and But one of the first interviews I did with Robert Downey Jr. is is like, we just went like this really fast. I was like, wow, this is like the greatest tennis match ever because I got somebody who can... You know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then it made no fucking sense, though, on tape. I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, I don't have shit. I got like two things we can... And what, what, what that's called in the business is called you, you cut around you cut around the interview, you know, because like I, we were just a thousand miles an hour, hops, mental hopscotch, and it made no fucking sense if you watched it in a linear fashion. So we had to cut around it to make a, a piece out of it that only ended up being a minute 30, 90 seconds. But but yeah, it's it's one of those things where you have to really, uh, for me anyway, is to really slow things down, understand what my weaknesses are, or or where my Achilles heel could be, uh-huh. and try to ameliorate that and not get there. Um, but yeah, I, and, and also, the challenge I guess we give to young people is to learn these things, and at the same time, don't make these corrections that veer from what brings you to the dance. You're already, you're like what you already. Look bring, at Charles Barkley; he makes mistakes already, all the effing yeah. time, but oh. he's he's good television. Yeah, he is. He's good television. I like Charles Barkley, and I like Shaq. I just, I can't listen to them both in the same room. I mean, uh, obviously, the feedback is everyone likes it, uh, uh, but I can go through a halftime show. And not understand. I mean, the 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 highlights are in the back, and what the hell? What the hell? These two are talking about. I'm like, can you take ten seconds? <laughs> ten seconds, right? You you have all this time to talk about these these weird pictures and how fat someone is and racing you to the screen and all that <laughs> shit, right? But can you at least take ten seconds and talk about the highlights? And then Shaq. Usually when it when it quiets down a little bit, you hear Shaq talk some analytical on this and this, and then Barkley. I don't. I, but I don't know who the ringleader is. Who kind of like whips those two back? into professionalism and then and then of course be playful again in this right. and that. So. so I can tell you how that works. So so one of the things one of the I, I guess it's not unsung heroes because he, he's won awards, but Ernie Johnson is a master. Because I've done stuff on panels like that. I, I've hosted shows where you have these this talent, right? And a lot of times the the host of a of a broadcast will try to be the dominant person. You're there to drive the broadcast and steer it a little bit, uh-huh. but you're here to let those people shine yes. and let them spark. And so, what Ernie's great about he'll do, he knows he know he he knows all the buttons to push. You want to know why? Because he put them there. Yep. And so he'll know he'll throw out even half a sentence, and you know that you know Barkley will pick up on it. And then he allows them to do their thing, and then he will at some point you'll see because what happens is is they all have producers in their ear, right? Yeah. Right. And Barkley sometimes just takes his out. So but yeah, know. and I could watch the end. I can't watch a halftime show anymore yeah. because of that. I, but, I watch but it, it, but look, it's something that the people like. They're giving the people what they want. I'm just, I'm just not that person. Well, because listen, we're we're more in the into the analytical part of it. We want to get the X's and O's, right? But Hell we're a minority yeah. because here's the thing: for it, for that to succeed, you have to have a broad audience. 
Right, mm-hmm. and they've appealed to a broad audience. They yes, get, they, have. they get. Sometimes the ratings at halftime and pregame show are bigger than the actual game. And and right, and like you said, it's organic because that's who they are as people. They're not yeah. like you said the, about the news anchor and like that two, the two sides of news anchor. Yeah, they don't. If they slip up, it's not like they have to worry about uh, keeping concentrating on keeping that character. Yeah. And, and fixing whatever. They just have to fix it if they want to fix yeah. it. And then, by the way, that yeah. allows them then to go deep into something from maybe when they were 22 yeah. that real Charles Barkley did that they can reference and go, you know, I made that mistake when I was 21 because yeah. you think I'd be more – stuff like that. Do you, do you know what ruined my acting career? Uh, acting school. <laughs> ah. Acting school. All right. Uh, Mary Mount Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Right, I went back as a returning adult student. I was 33 years old at the time. They're ranked number two in the country. I believe Juilliard was first, and Yale somewhere. You know, at yeah, third, yeah. though their grad school remains first. Um, their MFA, but they have a style and a technique. Sanford Meisner and Stanislavski, where if you, for the people listening at home, I'll keep it simple. If you move across the room, you need a reason to. Mm. All right. Where my style, I guess if I had to label myself was more like Michael Chekhov where, nah, just, just get up, move across the room, go back, go across again, move back, figure out, uh, you're figuring out the why. So this way when you do your scene, it's more organic. It's not like right. you're, 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 you're taking this technical approach because you have a goal that was given to you by a director, I guess, which makes you a better actor. Uh, but also the other one does too. And it's designed for young people. It's designed for young people because young people, if they're doing a war movie, they can't reflect on what it feels like to serve in the military. They never served. They can't reflect on what it feels like to have someone die in their arms. Maybe if no someone die. They can't reflect on what it feels like to practice law. They've never been in a law firm. But me, by the time I'm 33, I already served in the military. I'm already in a cardiology practice. I'm already doing these things. Yeah. And the the thing that they were trying to tear down and build up would have taken probably 20 fucking years. You know. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, for theater. Voice and speech, three years of that. I'm telling you, learning, learning articulations, tongue manipulation, vowels, and this and that, super necessary. Movement for actors, which was taught by a person who was published on Lucid Body Movement. I understood the bodies, every single, all, every all 260 bones of my body. I understand how the spinal cord works. I understand like the the religious thing turned into science. Let's say for major shockers of the spinal cord. So going to school and learning these things, and and to even maybe teach it someday is good, but. I came I came in there the most talented actor and I left kind of like how am I supposed to do this? How am I it's, supposed to It's interesting do this? you say that because I spent mm-hmm. I spent last night in Hollywood at uh the DGA, the Directors Guild of America. Yep. A private premiere of Val Kilmer Val Kilmer's documentary. Okay. And and on wow. on an interesting sur- dude. Well, here's the thing. So on surface you're like, ah, interesting dude did some roles and then kind of disappeared. Maybe it was kind of, you know, labeled as a hard ass and hard to work with. The crazy thing is this, is that uh, I'm blessed to have some people who help produce it. And I was blessed enough to get, be given a, 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 a rough cut way back and, and made some notes on it. But here's the crazy thing. So Val Kilmer grew up in Chatsworth and what have you in the Valley. He started shooting stuff on a video camera like when he was a kid with his brothers. He is shot, Jason, on every movie. All this behind this, he, they walk into this one vault and it's like two stories high and he shot stuff of auditions he did for, to play Jim Morrison in the Doors movie, stuff he did for Full Metal Jacket, oh, man. Stuff, all this stuff. And it goes, but it goes to Juilliard since you're talking about school Yeah, and how when he got there, he said it was the hardest thing ever because they told him everything that you know, forget. So that's 
sounds similar to what you were of like, okay, no, you got to forget everything. We're going to break you down to this and then we're going to build you back up. But, the, but it's one of the most, and for, it's going to come, I think Amazon bought it. It's going to come out on Amazon Prime pretty soon. It is one of the most honest, raw, heartbreaking, heartbreaking documentaries of a human being I've, I've seen. And I'm not saying like ones about- I was war, actually looking for images. Of about war-torn that. victims. See, if you look at the lower right there, see, he has cancer, throat cancer. Right here. And so he's now got a trachea in there. And I mean, look at, look, go above, go to the picture above, look at a stud. And now he's, he's that. And, and he, he either has to breathe or eat. He can't do both at the same time. And so he's got this tube in his throat and he's weak um, and what have you, but he's still, he's still, he's still an amazing artist. You should see his paintings. And so it's one of those things where, where I was, I was profoundly affected last night sitting there because you talk about being honest, this fucking guy, the stuff he showed, 99% of people would never let, let the world see. No. Because there, that's a, their career. And there's a point where, where he's signing at Comic-Con and he's got the thing in his throat. He's signing and, and, he, and he walks away and, he's, and he, there's a voiceover and he talks about how he gets so depressed because he now has to sign his name to live to make money. He's shilling himself out. At $55 a pop, he'll sign 5, 10, 15,000 autographs. And there's one shot where he has to stop and they stop the line. He's got to go away and he keeps motioning. He's on this couch and he's so sick that he, they have to bring a, he's like, get that, there's a big trash can and like a 50 gallon, whatever it is. They bring it over for him to vomit in. And then they have to take him away in this thing. Then he, then he ends up coming back to sign later. And you look and you're like, that's fucking Iceman from Top Gun. And but look at him now. But yeah. inside there, that brain is that's still that badass that, from the that, movie Heat. Yeah, yeah. And that and that brain, that brain, everything is still functioning, but the outer part, and there's some things that he did in his life that got him to that point. Was smoking one of them? Uh, I don't know what it was. Because uh, every time I, th I hear a throat thing and you got the device and well, all that stuff. Well, yeah, I guess what happened in 2014, 15, whatever, he started, um, his voice started changing. He's like, that's odd. He went for checkups and they didn't find anything. And then he started spitting up blood. And they're like, oh, this is, and they found out he had throat cancer. And then so he had that. And then they had to put the, you know, the hole in his throat. But it's, you know, it, it's, I would encourage anybody, you know, out there just to watch it. It's fascinating. I mean, just, just from the fact, like the behind the scenes stuff, of shooting the doors, the behind scenes stuff of shooting Top Gun, he and he and Tom Cruise and Anthony Edwards and all these guys dancing, like they're 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 so young, like they're just and so this that from that part, but it's so well done and it's so honest that my my wife is not a documentary person. She likes comedy. She, you know, life is tough enough, so she's like, what? Yeah. She sat there and she probably teared up five or six times, and it got done, and she said, "Oh my God, I loved every minute of it. I had and she's met Val. We know about Val a little bit." She said, I had no idea. She goes, this is, everybody should see this. And, and it's, it, it goes back to us being, because at the end of the day, we're going to end up in a box. Or we're going to end yeah. up, you know, cremated, dude. What, but what's. Right? So let's just live. What happened? And, 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 why, why, and by the way, it, back to your point, the people you allow into your brain to fuck with you, when you, the more you allow them into your brain, the more they occupy your day. So get them out. Yeah. Get them out. Like if some have legitimate things to take it, Ingest it and figure it out. And and I've had to work on that my entire life. Mm -hmm. I'm so at fault with all that shit. You know. You know it's crazy. Like the term "live in your head rent free," 
<laughs> and I got him off the deep end. On it's this. easier said like, than done, by the yeah, way. Some All this shit's easier said no, than but done, No, but when I think of someone living in your head rent-free, yeah. they're in my head saying, we're not gonna pay. Yeah. <laughs> we're not gonna pay. And I'm taking pay. up space. <laughs> Last year's rent. <laughs> exactly. I'm a fucking idiot. No, I'm no. Just thinking but, of, but, but, but it's I guess true. for Val Kilmer, health-wise, I'm, I'm going to show this again. You, you see this stud, right? And yeah. then you see this deterioration. Yeah. And we don't, we're not saying was, that in a bad yeah, but way. But how much of this was stress-related that eventually led to oh, some of these conditions? I, I, I don't know. And, I mean, he had, they, they talk about his stress a little bit in the film because he got divorced, and, and that financially threw him for a loop. And then, by the way, I didn't know this. His dad was a real estate developer. His dad ended up, when, when Val made it and started making money, um, his, uh, that's his daughter right there. Uh, upper right. That's right. yep. looks like Mercedes. Yep. But by the way, guess, guess what happened? It goes Iceman. His dad created twenty shell companies and put Val's name on it. Okay. So Val got just shit, uh, bec- and financially got ruined. He could either sue his dad, right, for what his dad did, or he could just pay the money his dad owed. And so he paid the money his dad owed, which is all the fucking money he had made to that point in his life. Good lord. He chose not to sue his dad. But don't don't you have designed something that says it's okay for my dad to do that shit? I think his dad just fucking did it. How? I mean, you just signed his name. That's crazy. A hundred percent. Someone come after me for that. I'm like, man, that isn't that the isn't that the guy you want to come after? What, well, what the hell? Well, here's the thing. So 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 his dad didn't have the money to pay, and so he could obviously sue his dad. And but at the same time, um, his dad had take his dad had been this great guy. Gregarious did all this great stuff, and then Val's younger brother died. He drowned in the jacuzzi, and his uh, he had an epileptic fit in the jacuzzi. His father felt responsible for that because he wasn't on him to take his meds, and he was maybe not supervising him enough around the jacuzzi. So Val, you know, at the height of of uh, of making it, and then his brother dies, and his dad. He said, from that moment on, my dad was never the same. And so he may have felt some guilt in the sense of like, my dad just hasn't been the same, so I'm going to bail him out. I'm going to make more money. I think that's probably what happened. But he had two major financial setbacks, that and the divorce. I mean, because there's got to be, I, I'm like, what law out there? Like my, if my mom uh, accrues like a whole bunch of debt and a whole bunch of people come up to me and be like, your mom accrued this debt, you have to pay for it. I'm like, fuck off. Yeah, but I your name's on your mom's debt. See, huh? But your, mom, but your name is on that debt, not oh, okay. your. Okay, got it. That's the thing. Okay. He signed your name, created all these Man, shell companies. Just, I'm sorry. I just yeah. me. I'm but, like, you know, me. if anybody wants to see it, I, it's coming out shortly. It's, it's really well done. Um, you know, you walk away with a great appreciation for him. His artistic, uh, his artistic ability is unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, his paintings and the things he's created since then are incredible. Um, and then also, it, for me, I walked away thinking, A, don't judge people from... Yeah. From external, because I always thought he was maybe a little difficult and what have you. I'd heard stuff, but, you know. And then secondly, we got to effing live our lives, man. Yeah. Because it can change. That's a stud. And he's now fighting for his life. Yeah. I mean, think about he, it. He you know? also shows people that someone being misunderstood is a real thing, right? Like, oh. there are some people out there, I'm like, no, that, that guy's just a douchebag. All right. He, he's, he's, he doesn't know how to treat people, but being misunderstood. Uh, when you actually find those people, mm-hmm. they're not unicorns. They're more. They're more. I make them sound like they're, that is rare case. No, they're more than we think. God, you, you have empathy, you know, 100%. and you have sympathy, and and you're like, you know, shit. Just take a. All like the you said time earlier, I'm passing judgment, you know. You, uh, and you said earlier. Misunderstood. Sorry to interrupt you, but you said something really important that I really want to hit on real quick. Please. 
take a beat. Take a beat in everything. Yeah. Like you, you're in the, you know, you're at the restaurant, right? And the restaurants are trying to figure out what the fuck they're doing. They got half staff, you know. They're trying to, and so they're, they're, maybe they're not getting the order right. Maybe it's going to take a little bit longer. Or you're at the bank, or you're with a friend, or you're something. Like just take a beat. Mm-hmm. Just take a beat. You know, I mean, we went to uh, Cheesecake Factory about well, when everything started opening up, and they could not have effed up stuff more. We got a we got a Caesar salad. It was a crouton salad with two pieces of lettuce. We're yeah. like, this isn't a Caesar salad. And then we ordered this other thing and the, the, the prawns and the whatever. It was all bass backwards. And we could have got really pissed off. But they were like, they were trying. Like they were understaffed. Yeah. And so in life, maybe just take a beat. Like you said, empathy, compassion, mm-hmm. you know. And listen, when, when shit hits the fan and somebody Fs with you, then obviously deal with it. But I think if we go from that place, just take a beat. You know, you've probably gone through stuff that we talked a little bit. I've gone through some stuff, you know, some of it self-created. Yeah. That so. F'd me, right? Yep. Um, so we're all in this together. At the end of the day, you know, when you're 70, 75, just understand you try to do the best you could. Have some empathy. Take a beat once in a while. You know, and, and, and especially in relationships. Like, I've been married 11 years, but I've had previous marriages that I effed up. And yeah. I'll take full responsibility yeah. for that. Did one of those. Yeah. yeah um, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm with my girl for 10 years right now. So you, you got a year over me. Yeah. Met in Soho Thanksgiving Eve. Nice. Yeah. I, I was just so impressed at her ability to listen to four different guys all talking to her at the same time. And the weird thing is all four don't even know. They're just talking and she's just like, boom, 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 boom. Like late, like laser focus. Mental Listen tennis. Listening to four conversations at one time. And I'm like, this girl's a savage. <laughs> so the other thing that impressed me is, um, again, you know. And so- I met her, by the way. Yeah, uh, Soho in New York. Yeah, yeah I met her. So, um, <laughs> and your lovely daughter. But I wanted to share this fun story before we, I wanted to move on to Courtney Cox. I wanted to talk sure, about Sure, whatever her. you want to do. But, um. This guy, uh, one of my friends who introduced us, wanted to play her in ping pong. It'll be fun or whatever. And this is like, ah. so she finally plays ping pong. She wins, right? So my friend Nate's, he's not uber competitive, but he's like, she's real. She was really good, but I think I'm good too. Can we play again? So she beats him a second time. Nice. And I he's like, this. I'm gonna play again. I'm like, can we get the fuck out of here? No, I want to play one more. Just- <laughs> <laughs> but the thing that impressed me is we walked from Soho to Columbus Circle. Jeez, Louise. When we got to 34th Street, she had heels on, which is already a, a task. 100%. Right? So to walk on heels, you're a real, you're, you're a real G. Yeah. So, but from 34th Street to Columbus Circle, walk barefoot. Nice. All the way from fucking, I'm like, dude, I want to know more about this woman. And my friend's like, dude, she went to Harvard. You like her? She, I'm like, I don't give a fuck about no Harvard. You know? But um, <laughs> it, it, was, it was great. And I could go on and on about her, but, yeah. uh, um, but, no, she, no, but, she, but she's shy. And I just, it was so, uh, since we're talking about relationships, since we're talking about keepers, mm-hmm. I wanted to finish with this. Sure. For everyone that wants, that's looking for that someone, that long-term relationship, you have to fucking break some eggs to make an omelet. The first year we've been together, all we did was fight. Because she's a strong personality, and there's this fear. And you're not. There's a, no, but yeah, me too. But the, <laughs> I know. You know, I know what I'm saying? There's this fear that that someone says something that's gonna that's gonna be a, a deal breaker and or whatever. So you're you're constantly because you got your heart broken because you've been married and divorced already, right? You went yep. through all these cycles. You're kind of find yourself looking for these things that could be a deal breaker in the future because right. you you. You know, I'm doing theater, I'm coaching volleyball, I'm playing volleyball. She's in finance, right? Her her spare time is this guy who disagrees with her all the fucking time. Right. So so <laughs> this is a lesson for you young guys. We and I call this chapter um top drawer, bottom drawer. We go to Hermosa Beach, and I think I told you the story. 
we stay at the beach house and we go to the beach house we take a trip from new york to california and she's like do you want the top drawer or bottom drawer and i go bottom <laughs> and we start cracking up and we looked at each other and we said like, why, why are we fighting why are we fucking fighting all the time so so i that chapter in my life i call top drawer bottom drawer because nice. there's some things it's a good you, visual there's some things you have silly fights over and maybe you get a little bit emotional work emotionally worked up but stop protecting yourself where everything's like this deal breaker and the person that's going to be your life partner again you, you're not it's not going to be the first year uh, uh, it's not it might not be this big honeymoon phase where every single thing's supposed to go yep. right we couldn't leave each other with the first year and, and this is not jason this is not me someone someone's arguing with me all the time and i got other things to do you're bye bye yeah. this one in finance she only has time to, to when she leaves work to play volleyball and spend time with me what bye and and for but for some reason neither one of us would leave mm. I, I don't even know I, maybe it's her competitive nature or maybe i was the sums i was like no dude i, I love girls with ivy league educations those are all <laughs> those are all of my long-term relationships there's something there because yeah. my three longest relationships were um well there's one girl is berkeley but yeah. yale um dartmouth and um no, Princeton, Dartmouth, and Harvard. So, there you go. So, but um, there's an old saying: if you're not a genius by the time you're forty, you got to be married to one. So, so <laughs> <laughs> right. So you took the ladder up. Yeah. So that, but that, I wanted to share that story no, for, for I, some of these young people. Don't don't take everything. Every little thing is this warning sign as a deal breaker where you're looking. Uh, oh, I'd rather I'd rather just be single. I don't want to give up my freedom. You know, any of this. Well, you I, know, I like that because one of the things that uh, I think is important in relationships. Uh, is you have to have if you if you take a beat that's that's great and take a beat and what have you but you'll find sometimes that in a relationship you'll treat your best friend and give them the benefit of the doubt more so than you do your spouse and you're like wait that's fucking bass backwards yeah you'll cut you'll cut your your best friend some slack but like much to your point you're you're on edge with your spouse and if they do so you're like bam what if it was your yeah. best friend be like yo like knock it off let's move on yes life so goes on. I, and and i think also as you move on in life and you get older and you get some wisdom you understand what makes your wife tick what she mm. needs you know what you need what your buttons are that you probably shouldn't you know allow to be pushed and it and by the way i was blessed because i had I had some parents who came from some pretty rough childhood, especially my mother. Um, rock and roll rebels from the 50s got married in 1958 when they were 18. But they showed me on a daily basis how a man should treat a woman and how a woman should treat a man because they never got in big fights in front of us. They never swore at each other. And my parents both swore. Okay. They, didn't, they didn't swear at each other. And so just by being in that environment, because they did not grow up that way. Yeah. Um, I don't know how they <clears throat> came to this and stopped the cycle of a lot of shit, by the way. Yep. Um, I just kind of always saw women as being badass, strong personalities, and they said what they wanted to say and they voiced their opinion. So to me, it was when I got out, like in high school, and things were different. Because remember, I'm this is the '70s and '80s now. It was like, oh, it's not like that everywhere else. Like women have to super, super fight, and they have to, they, they're, you know, they're they're pegged down in a lot of places, and there's you know gender equality and pay. That's not happening. And so I was like, ah, interesting. So I feel really blessed that I had that. Um, you know, and, and and the only thing that I think the disappointment of my life is my parents, you know, were married 
I don't know, 50 some years until my dad passed. Um, and you know, I, they, they did it, they figured it out and I fucked up twice, you know? So I felt like what's wrong with me? Like what's, you know, my dad gave me a great line once when I met my wife, who I'm married to now. And he realized that actually somebody loved me for being just me right? and true of me. And my dad said to me, he goes, son, you can't manufacture love. And I'm like, dad, where were you when I was 21? Yeah. Hello. Cause, Cause you can't man. It's either there or it's not. And obviously you have to. If to nurture it and you have it grows and what have you, um, but that's the thing. And and what you've realized, you guys realized in your first year was step back. Why are we doing this bullshit? Why are we wasting time? Like, Top tier, like, bottom like you drill, and I, man. like you and I, will never have this day back in our lives again, yeah. ever. It's gone, brother. But look at we decided. You know what? Time's a valuable thing. You and I hit it off when we first met. That was awesome. And I'm we're blessed. like, yo, so I'm, so I'm blessed. Yeah. Dude. Well, we're both blessed, you know, to be here. But we're spending this time with each other, mm-hmm. you know, and hopefully, you know, working out some shit and and chatting. And I've, I, you know, I love where the the space that you come from and the fact that you just want to continue to learn. Yeah. Let me every let me, day. Let me ask you a question that sure. probably doesn't have an answer, but it's fun to ask since we're, <laughs> we're on the subject of women or just relationships. What age should just, I guess we're, we're men. We're not, I'm, we're not, uh, there's no woman in the room, so I'm just going to speak for us men. What <laughs> age do we have to realize that we don't have to do every fucking thing together? It is. Uh, uh, what age do you, do you finally stop carrying that? This, uh, for young guys, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What age do they finally stop carrying that backpack? that they have to play a host and entertain or, 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 you know, uh, um, so this is the multi-pronged answer, please. Oh, no, no, this is a multi-pronged discussion. I don't know if there's an answer in this. I don't think there is, but I well, to well, I'll anyway. tell you what. So one of the greatest lessons my parents ever taught me, I had a sister who was four years older. I'm, I'm like, I'm like, like eight at the time, seven, eight at the time. My sister's like 11, 12. Um, my parents have my sister. So, so if I'm eight or nine, my parents are 31, right? They're young. And my dad comes home from work, and, um, and we had been on my mom's ass all day. My mom's a strong woman, and we just kind of been on her ass and, uh, since we got home from school. And I remember she made dinner. We're sitting at the table, and from the left to right, it's my dad, it's my sister, and it's me. And my mom comes to bring the food to the table, and there's no plate for her. And my dad's like, you know, Jay, we call her Jay. Jay, you're not going to sit down? She goes, listen, now, here's what I'm going to tell you. She goes, uh, she goes I love you. I love you and I love you. She goes, but right now, pointing to my dad, I don't like you. Pointing to my sister, I really don't like you and I really don't like you. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm out of the house. I'm going to go to Elaine's house. We're going to have wine and we're going to paint and I'll be back later. What that taught me was that you don't have to like a person 24-7. If you truly love them, it's okay to say, you know what? You're just like, I can't stand you today and I'll be back tomorrow or leave me alone for six hours or whatever it happens to be. And understand that that's okay. There's no possible way that you can like somebody 24-7. when you, It's just not going to happen. But if you have the underlying love. And so my first girlfriend, I'm like 16 and a half, and she's driving me batshit crazy. And yeah. I'm like, yo, I'm out like mm-hmm. for a couple of days. And it freaked her the F out because she didn't have that. I was like, this is normal. Like, I, yeah, I love you. I'm going to be back. But like, I just, I'm out. And so that's one of the things I think that as you get into a relationship – Understand, like, it's okay not to like like the person. They can really piss you off or just do something like, yo, I'm out. <laughs> and you can do that with your, like, you do that with your friends all the time. Like, yeah. dude, like, I'm, I'll talk to you tomorrow, dude. Like, you're out of your mind. I'm out of here. Um, and that's one thing. And then the other thing, I was, I was in the Bahamas once, 
it's about it was around sunset um and there was these all these jerk chicken shacks right locals not this highfalutin stuff at atlantis paradise island and i was out there and and the sun's starting to set and there's not a lot of people around and at a far picnic table backlit by the sun are these two older people and they're probably in their 70s maybe even 80s and they're both leaning towards each other and i can see their silhouette they've got two beers red striped beer and they're eating chicken and the left hand her left hand is connected to his right hand and they're holding hands and these fuckers are like almost 80 years old and i'm i'm looking at that and i, and I just like you know fucked up two marriages and i'm like i need to go talk to them <laughs> so i walk up and okay. i said and i said listen you know beautiful night sun setting it's a tropical breeze you know i'm probably interrupting a really nice mm-hmm. you know dinner or what have you i said I, this is just a beautiful scene. You guys are holding hands. You clearly figured it out. You know, I, I'm, I, I'm in my 30s at this time. I'm like, I've screwed it up. I said, you know, what's the, what's the secret? What, tell a young guy like, what's the secret? And they said to me, they said, listen, listen, have some empathy and take a beat before you respond and understand that you don't need to be around each other 24-7, which is what your point was earlier. Yeah, yeah. And I think if, and that was like, Okay, they're absolutely right. And then the, the third thing is, I think, is that women and men need to realize that they're different in a sense. Like with my wife, sometimes she wants me to do something, but she gives me this backstory. Like, I don't need a backstory. No, just, just point in the direction what you need done and tell me to go do it and I'll do it, right? But I realize on occasion that she needs to tell me the backstory. So I will accommodate the backstory. And because I do that, when I do finally go, yo, I don't need a backstory. Just I need to. I don't have time. Just tell me what to do, and, and I'll go do it. She grants me Nutshell that. It. Yeah. She grants me that because she understands that I am wired differently. But I have also capitulated and listened to her backstory a couple of times. There so there's is. that give and take. And by the way, and then the fourth thing, it's never perfect. So don't no. don't you know don't cut each other off the knees if you make a mistake. No, I I, I so am. I, that's that's what I've learned. I embrace I, imperfections. You know, I, I, I have I, to. I, I really do. Um, and for, I tell my friends, because they, they're like, why do, it seems like we get along and, and everything let, let we show on the outside is, is close to 100% true. We do get along. We, we get along yeah. awesome. I say, look, she likes to scuba dive. She likes to swim with sharks and fucking pet sharks. Really? I'm not petting no shark. No, I'm not doing that. No, she's applying to- cl- I'll jump out of a She's airplane. training to, to, to apply to climb um, Kilimanjaro. Um that's awesome. Have a good time. I'm, I'm not. Yeah. I, I have two fears, man. I got heights and clowns, man. I, I don't. I don't do clowns and I don't do heights. All right. Uh, me. So she's in a clown suit climbing a climbing a. Oh, I'm not killing. You're, that's you're, a deal breaker. All right. Now, now as far as like looking for deal breakers, <laughs> yeah, yeah, shove that in my uncanny face, but, dude. But you'll support the shit out of her in her endeavors. Hundred percent. Yeah. So for me, on my part, um, when volleyball, which was a part-time thing in New York, when it when my escapism became my career full-time. I sing karaoke twice a week. Karaoke is not her thing. I got to see that. Um, at some point, she's got to get up so she doesn't go. So it's one of those things right. where everyone's like, there's some, there's, where always is some she? there's always some dummy like if, if she's, if, if you have a girlfriend, why is she home? And I'm like, because this we're not her thing. 12. <laughs> you exactly. Know? exactly. But yeah. Oh yeah. So someone asked me my, my go-to. Did song. you ever do porn star karaoke in Burbank? Did you ever go to that? No, but Holy I heard about my- it. Crazy, but Billy Presida told me about that. He's yeah. a fucking comedian and he has a sex podcast called the Man Whore Podcast. Okay. Um, 
He's man, that's a story. You got it. That's episode sixty-seven. That's something. I'll go listen. Just to skip it. to fifty-five minutes all the way to the end. Okay. If you want to really talk about like self-honesty and sex and relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, it took a while for us to warm up to each other because I'm like, wait, I'm still coaching club. Did I give my kids an explicit warning here? Right, right, you right. You know, and this and that. So, but man, I was like, ah. So, but um, that's my escapism. Twice, two nights a week. Good. Monday now Tower Twelve Thursday on Thursday, it's a clubby environment. Hennessy's uh, before COVID is a pubby environment, so I get my pub on, and a little bit my club on. Even though I'm more I'm more of a pubs over clubs guy, I just I, right, that's yeah. just that's just how I'm built. But you'd never know, because look, I never I'm, knew you do karaoke. No, but I'm the guy in New York that you got to drag to a nightclub. But when I'm there and I'm in there, you look in the middle of the dance floor, like they're like, wait, that's. That's your friend that doesn't like clubs, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. So, I, so when I, you're in it, you're in it. Yeah. But the good thing about theater performance. Can you sing? Yeah. Really? I sing. Uh, well, my degree uh, was in theater performance. I, was oh, I understand that. BFA. But... It wasn't musical theater, but right. um, from a singing family, like my mom sings, my sister sings. My, um, I did choir uh, uh, at a church called Coney Island Gospel Assembly in Brooklyn, which is like, so a, what's it's like your... a traveling choir. Right. So what's your go-to? Don't have one. Don't have one in the, no, in the I, no I'll give you an example. Monday go-to? night, I'm at Obie's. I sang um, All of Me by John Legend. Okay. I sang, That's not easy uh, to sing. Give Me One Reason by Tracy Chapman. Good Lord. And I sang um, I'm Feeling Good by Michael Bublé. Wow. Yeah, birds flying high. Yeah. yeah. Oh, look at you. So, I cannot sing, brother. But there's some days when I, if I can't sing a song, I can perform it. Like my very first karaoke song is Sweet Transvestite. From the Rocky Horror Show. Oh, okay, yeah. That which doesn't have to be sang. You just, you know. Yes. And the host is like, "Okay, that was Jason and Ross." <laughs> and karaoke night is off. That was in New York. That was at the Parlor on 86th Street. Oh my and god! And the bartender was like, "You don't have to pay for a fucking drink all night." You know, you're <laughs> yeah, yeah. Scottish <laughs> pub. You know. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So let's That's talk awesome. about. There's so many movies and TV shows that you were a part of. Sure. You were doing morning shows, um, you know, Fox in Florida. We had a little conversation or whatever. But I guess just for my own titillation, I want to talk about uh, Dirt. I want to talk about Courtney Cox. Oh, the show she did, Dirt. I want to talk about how you felt about the script, who did the script. So walk me through some of the things like how that show be, became possible. It's funny that you talk about that because it's it's one of those things I did. On a, I knew her pretty well, and they're like, yo, you're on Access and what have you. Um, it was interesting because they tried to – well, I would, I would almost parallel it with the Apple Plus show, um, Apple TV show, uh, The Morning Show. Because if you look at that, that's Jennifer Aniston doing that show, um, Steve Carell. And if you look at – and so what Dirt did, they did a lot of stuff that was – that would parallel things that were happening in Hollywood's kind of scandal, right? I mean, they had a guy, I think Grant, Grant Show was a guy, uh, actor who came on and he played a Tom Cruise type character who was involved in this science, this, well, this religious kind of thing, but was it a sham marriage, which is what Tom was going through at the time. So it didn't bother me because like my stuff, I could ad-lib the stuff if I needed to because I was kind of like playing myself to a certain extent. So uh, it, it's interesting to see how, I had a really good conversation once with Paul Walker in Hawaii. He was shooting um, Blue, some movie, uh, whatever it was called. Oh, um, with Je- with uh, um, Jessica Alba, yeah, Scott Deep Blue Con, Sea, something like that. They got stuck in the water, and yeah. sharks were tickling their legs or something. Yeah, and there was a, there was a treasure they had to get. Yeah, all this stuff. So we did that shoot, and then actually the 
first first the per, the first time I ever I ever scuba dived scuba dove scuba dived um, or dove uh, and and ever was Paul Walker was my instructor. Uh, it was a crash course. He's like, you, you kind of need this, this, and this. He goes, but I'll, on the on the boat right out, I'll. I'm like, dude, sh- should I really like? I maybe I should take a class. He's like, no, I'm I'm certified, and, I, and then there's a dive master on the boat as well. So anyway, we got done, and then uh, later that day, we hooked up at the uh, outdoor uh, the bar at the hotel in Hawaii, and um, we're just sitting there at the bar. It's outdoors, you know. It's beautiful. It's a pool behind us. The ocean's right there. And we start talking about life. We both had daughters the same age. And uh, we were going through divorce, and so he, he and his daughter was in Hawaii, and it was hard for him, and he loved, loved her so much. And we're talking about stuff, and he, started, then he, got, he said to me, he goes, so talk to me about the media and being a reporter. He goes, how does this work? And I found a lot of people, once they trusted me, would ask me those kinds of questions. And I think Courtney Cox kind of had those same kind of questions, wanted to create a show around all the stuff she knew from, a, from a, 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 an actor standpoint of, of you know, people going through her garbage and all this stuff so i think that's you know where that show came about i think if you look at the morning show i mean steve carell's character who's her co-anchor on the morning show is beloved just got a huge contract for like 17 million his character i mean if you don't see the parallels of matt lauer you're an idiot um you know based on what he went through and what have you Mm -hmm. so those kinds of shows are always interesting to me um brian stetler i think is his name from cnn is a consulting producer on that i could have consulted on that show um, because they get a, a few things wrong that I would like to fix. Um, but it's an interesting show. And I always find it interesting when that side of the world tries to do a media news type show. Th- and that show's pretty spot on. I mean, there's a couple of things of like technically producing wise and certain anchors wouldn't say certain things and they wouldn't do certain things in that way that they should fix. But it's, it's interesting for me to see that. And I've, you know, I've obviously been part of the beast at Access Hollywood, that need, I mean, I that think was 13 years, right? Yeah, tw- uh, yeah 12, yeah, 2000, yeah. well, about that. Um, it was one of those things where our show changed when Anna, the minute Anna Nicole Smith died. Prior to that, our show was like at homes with the celebrities. We go to their homes, it'd be fun, fluffy, a couple scandals here and there, but more of that type of stuff. And then, you know, Harvey, what's his face? Um, Weinstein? No, no, Harvey. Um, um, Kaitel. No, no, who started TMZ. Um, oh, shoot. Harvey, he was, yeah. Anyway, yeah, got it. so he started TMZ at, on online, and he had moles everywhere, downtown in the court system, so he started getting all this breaking stuff, right? And, and then all this scandalous stuff. And then I remember it was the Thursday before the Grammys. I'm on the floor of the Staples Center talking to Ken Ehrlich, who produces the Grammys, and I get a text that said, Get your ass back to Burbank. Anna Nicole Smith is dead. You're on a plane shortly. I'm like, what? And I showed it to Ken. Ken's like, she's dead? How is she Good dead? Lord. Yeah. And so I'm like, dude, I got to go. He's like, no, no, I get it. And from that moment, our show, Entertainment Tonight, they all changed because we had it. We, we, we covered that for God knows how long. I'm in the Bahamas. I mean, that's a whole other podcast of stuff that happened to me, of people trying to, you know, get me to pay them money for things it was in is insane time that's a book actually i should write um but my point being is is that and then harvey harvey started getting a lot of exclusives then he was going to do the show tmz the show and so for some reason harvey did that because in one sense because it was a smart business move but also that he couldn't compete with us on the a-list level he couldn't get an a-list star in his show no he couldn't even talk to him they had to you know run after him at the lax right and you see a lot of that footage 
and we abandoned, I think, at the time, our one key, our one, um, you know, thing that they, we, we had that they that couldn't get was the A-list people. And so we started chasing what he was already really good at and the exclusives that he would get. And so our show shifted in that way. Uh-oh. And it, 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 I still enjoyed it. And we still did the, you know, junkets around the world. And I still went, you know, I met Hugh Jackman in Prague at this castle when he was shooting Van Helsing. And Van Helsing. those things are amazing, right? Because what I love about that is you get these stars and they're on location. And, you know, if they know you, they're just happy to see somebody from Hollywood. Like, yes. yo, you're like, you're nah, here. Don't leave me. And, and, and also, <laughs> thanks for coming all this way, like 6,000 freaking miles. To, you know, and then, and so, but our show changed from that. And, and so I know what the beast needs on a daily basis to be fed of these scandals and how it works and all that stuff. So I've, in my career, most people don't know much about this because I signed a bunch of NDAs, but because I was trusted over time through, through Hollywood by the agents and the managers and the, and the stars, is that I would, I would crisis consult. Because I know, I know if something's going to break, I know what ET, Access, Extra, all those guys are going to need. I know their next six moves. So I can come in and I can crisis management and I can tell you exactly what those moves are and I can tell you how to deflect them all the way, right? I mean, like what killed me was when Tiger Woods has his press conference with his mom in the front row. Like I tried to get to him because I'd done some stuff with him over time and I did Tiger Jam in, in Vegas. We did all the things for kids. And so I, I don't say I knew him personally, but we had done some stuff and chatted and it seemed like it was amicable. But IMG and whoever was around just surrounded him over time and and before that scandal happened i had they started cutting off like my access to him it was really weird and they isolated him more and more and that's that's always a danger sign always because you're not going to get an outside dispassionate third opinion that's going to come in and so i tried to get to him and say yo like i'll come help you i'll give you my advice don't pay me just i'll give you what because i know what the beast is gonna i know what you need to do and he did the exact opposite of what I would have told him. Like, don't have your mom in the front. It's embarrassing as it is. Right. While you're, do, you're doing this mea culpa, and she, you can tell she's obviously really, not really happy. uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and it's, just, it's just not... I mean, uncomfortable is a generous just, description. But like, uh, yeah. But like, you could tell. And it's like, that's the... And people are going to get pissed off that you put your mom there, and you know it's an act, and you know it's staged. J- back to our original conversation, just mea culpa. I got some issues. I got some problems. I did some pretty shitty things. I got to go away for a while. Thank you for supporting me. You know, all this journey. Maybe you'll come back and support me afterwards. But, you know, I screwed up. And I got to get my shit together. And I'm going to go try to become a better person. And that's it. And you say that. It's uh, 60 seconds. You say that and you're done. You're done. Yes. You don't even have to answer questions. You know how much... You know how much... just public just, capital yes we would have saved him if i had been able to get to him and just and tell of course last but not least you know please respect my family's privacy you know this yeah and that. I'll, I'll come yeah. back they're in this position not angle. because of them they're in a position because of me right. it's on my shoulders yeah please, so please i'm don't asking let them, you this time. don't let, yeah don't put the i backpack. know you got a job to do yeah don't put the backpack on them exactly yeah yeah so so, so that's kind of like that, that when you look at shows and courtney cox and this you know the morning show and all that stuff when i look at that stuff like i like oh, okay i get it i know it i know it inside now so the trust system for access hollywood was that um it, it was a mixture of familiar face and someone that they know they can trust on on, on a certain yeah level, and i and i fucked right? up like there's so very much like the podcast right the things you the things you talk about yep they they know that you're not going to repeat it just for 
Right. If it's off cam, if, if it's Foot off. Dirt. Yeah, exactly. And, I, and look, we screwed up one time. I mean, um, Mel Gibson's extraordinarily private. This is back in the day. He was shooting The Patriot with Heath Ledger. Right. So I go to... And you were in the movie and uh, Ransom, right? Yeah, with Mel. Yeah, like with 10 Mel. years earlier. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that was on a win. Sorry. Yeah, no, no. It's just break cool. your flow here. Yeah, actually, he made fun of me because I went to the bathroom during the middle of the shoot uh, at Ransom. It's on this TV news set. And we're shooting, 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 shooting. And they're like, man, I got to go to the bathroom. Because here's the funny thing. And this is too much information. But like, I'm a 9 o'clock. I'm a 9 a.m. dude. Like, I got to hit the toilet at 9 a.m. for everything. Yes. Right? I'm just on schedule. Mine's 11.15. Yeah, so I'm on schedule, right? So, so because um, I did the morning show from 7 to 9. So 9 o'clock, I go do my business. So we're shooting. It's like 11 o'clock. I'm like, holy shit. I got to, I mean, literally, I got to go. But the, the, the microphones we have in news are pretty, the wireless are pretty heavy. So you know they're there. The ones in the movies are like really thin yeah. and light. So I forgot it was there. So I'm grunting. And, 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 oh, and no. So, so Mel hears it on somebody's uh, headphones. And so they pipe it through the speakers. So I'm flushing and all that stuff. And I'm like, I come out and Mel goes, <laughs> and everybody claps for me. I'm like, what? I'm not late. Um, but anyway, so fast forward. That's hilarious. We're in, um, so what Mel does with his team, when they go on location, especially like in the United States, if they're going to be like in South Carolina, I think they were in South Carolina, this one, but um, they'll look for a place where there's a need, a community need. And oftentimes it's women. It's battered women's shelters, housing for uh, kids, you know, and uh, who's been uh, abused women and, 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 and kids and they've had to flee. So in this particular case, he had, um, he had wrote it. He found, they found this place where they were like, I think, I don't know, 12 women and 20 some kids in this shelter that was made for like 10. So he's like, holy shit, this can't be right. So he had his team go look, assess it. And he, I think, donated a hundred, $150,000 so they could build a proper thing. He didn't want, so we found out the, the, the woman who runs it was in tears. She was amazing. It made a huge difference in all these people's lives, gave them dignity instead of being stacked up on each other because they're fleeing a bad man. Right. And so we have footage of her saying, listen, you know, Mel, I haven't had a chance to talk to you, but thank you so much. You've made the big difference in these girls' lives. Now, we're in the middle of a fucking field, in the middle of nowhere. You could have all this equipment out there to show him in playback, right, on this monitor. It's not like it is now. you got phones. And he wants nothing to do with it. He doesn't want to talk about it. He doesn't want anybody to know about it. You know, it, but so I said, I said to myself, yeah, yeah. I said, so Mel, here's the more important thing. It's not us getting the story, making you look good or whatever, getting this out there. I said, the most important thing for me is, is you see what this woman says. So I'm going to turn off all the cameras and we're just going to play it back for you. And then when you watch it and if you need a moment or whatever, you let us know and then we'll continue. Right. So that, that's a, like a, a part of Mel. He's very private. So this is before everything blew up. Right. And so um, we do this great thing and he's talking about Heath Ledger's going to be the next big thing. This kid's amazing. You're going to love him. And we got exclusive, all this stuff because they trust me. Right. So we come back and we're doing this story uh on on mel and the movie and what have you and um there was something about how we talked about how his private life is really private likes to keep it private and he does things in the community you don't know about we won't talk about it much and and as the anchor i think it's i think it was pat o'brien at the time was introducing it over the shoulder graphic we had a picture of his of his kids he doesn't put them in public and so this is so this is going to go out over the satellite at one o'clock a lot of the pr firms well, they have a satellite. They'll 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 watch our feed out to the America. It's from one to one thirty, and so some some places in America on the East Coast at four to four thirty will air it live. Most of them do it at seven o'clock at night. Right. Within a minute and a half of that airing, his PR person, Alan Nirov, who's an amazing guy, great guy, one of the one of the, the true gents in in Hollywood PR, calls our boss and says, "What in the fuck are you doing?" Like. 
how could you do that? Man, it's and, kids. And, and our executive producer, to his credit, Rob Silverstein, didn't actually see the graphic that was made. So and he's in the booth, but he didn't like see it. And he's like, oh shit, what happened? He's like, you sent out a picture of Mel's kids. Like he's going to, shit, you do not run that. And so, so then I get a call from Mel. Like, well, how'd that happen? I'm like, well, I don't do the graphics. I didn't, I'm not, I just finished voicing the damn thing. I didn't even see it go, you know, out. And so, but we made, so we had to refeed that show. That's $10,000 just to refeed the show. Good and Lord. we took it out. But so it's one of those things like where we made a mistake and you know that trust was kind of broken a little bit, but we ameliorated it right away and we went from there. So, you know, and, and, and that's some of the stuff I love about that. But so we still had, and, and Rob Silverstein still ran the show and he was pushing back against Post and Nicole Smith of all that tabloid stuff because he didn't like it either. Yeah, but, you just, know, there, there were other entities out there that were getting ratings based on that. So it's a slippery slope. Do you go down it? Do you not? You know, can you compete? No. Yeah. You know, so. But you. So, yeah. But it was, it was fun. I mean, it was a good time. I, I really enjoyed it. I, you know, I met some amazingly creative people in creative places doing creative things. And I got paid for it. Um, you have an Instagram handle. Anyone want to know more about you? A website? Yeah. Official Tony Potts is my Instagram. Okay. Um, Tony Potts one on uh, Twitter. And then uh, the company is the content artist and, uh, that we have. And there you go. I like it. That's cool. It. Hey, Tony Potts might love you guys, but I can't stand you. In fact, <laughs> I'm out of here, guys. So for all of you on your iPhone, your iPad, all of you on your Droid or your desktop who runs the world, old school, old school. For my man, Tony Potts, this is episode 101 of the Option Podcast. I'm Jason DeBeas. I'm going to hit my music. We're out. Come check out the Option Podcast on optiontv.com. It's also available on iTunes and Spotify. Well done, man. YouTube Pleasure. NY Varsity Sports Fucking handle. sauna in here. Yeah, I, love what you I mean. know. I got to pee like a mother. But... Uh, go ahead, Jack and Jill. Yeah, let me do it real quick. Oh. Thanks, man. That was awesome. Yo, dude, that Appreciate was... It.